What difference does Jesus make? What difference does Jesus make? All sorts of things flood into our mind. We start thinking about how we might answer that question. What would we say? What difference does Jesus make? If the world's asking that question, they're wondering. Oftentimes they, they don't ask it in those words. They're searching. They're searching for solutions. They're searching for ways to fill the void inside. They're searching for ways to find wholeness and satisfaction and I mean, all you have to do is look around the world and see all the crazy things that people are chasing and all the things that people do, destroying themselves, trying to numb themselves of the pain. What, what difference does Jesus make? If you have your listening guide. Well, that question's answered with our lives. People are looking for solutions to the problem that they faced all their life. And they're looking for examples. They're looking for people to influence them. See, they're looking at influence. They're being influenced by influencers. They're being influenced by social media. They're being influenced by all sorts of things. Meanwhile, God is strategically, as the world is using all these different tools to influence people, God is strategically moving me and you into people's lives, giving us influence, giving us opportunity to answer this question. I believe that every single person that comes into a believer's life is either there for us to share the gospel with or there for us to disciple or there for us to call away from some sin or some danger that's in their life or there for us to learn from and to grow from ourselves. It's one of those four things. Every single person that comes into your life fits into one of those four categories. They're lost and need a Savior. They're saved and need to be discipled. There's sin in their life. There's danger in their life. And they, God puts you there to steer them away from it, to have a conversation with them about it. Or they're there to teach you and help you grow in some way. One of those four things. Every single person. Let's pray and ask God to help us today. Father, we do thank you for the saving blood of Jesus. Thank you for the newness of life. Thank you for the reality of what has happened on the cross and what it means today for us. Thank you for allowing us to know we are yours. You're using us. Be your hands and feet in this world. What an honor and a privilege it is. Thank you. Thank you for washing away all of our sin. Thank you for removing all of our fear and trepidation. Thank you that this life is not all there is. This place is not our home. But that we will one day walk in victory forevermore in your presence. We are grateful beyond our ability to express it. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. See, the Bible says that every Christian has a ministry. Every Christian is a minister. Every Christian is in the ministry. The, the Bible says that we've all been 
gifted by God and that we're to use those gifts. That it's incumbent upon us to, to use those gifts, to use our lives for the benefit of others. They're not for us, they're for others. And so the Apostle Paul has taught us all these wonderful truths in 1 Corinthians and now in 2 Corinthians as he is really pouring his heart out. This, you notice in 2 Corinthians it's not as sequential as, Paul's, as normally Paul's letters are. But it's more Paul is just bearing his soul, is just pouring his heart out to this church that he loves so much that's struggling and that has uh, fallen into the grip of some false teaching. And, and we saw last week that it burdened him so deeply that he wasn't even able to respond to an open door in the ministry, which is, on one hand, encouraging for us as we fail to know that, wow, even the Apostle Paul struggled and fails, but also a little bit discouraging in the sense of, my goodness, um, we should be so careful. We need to be so cautious about the gospel that we believe and the gospel that we proclaim and the gospel that we live and make sure that we are doing and believing and saying and living those things that are actually true and not what we've been deceived into believing. So there is something that God's called each of us to do, all of us. You've been... You've been Think about this. Now, the blood wasn't applied to your life for you to just exist. You can't sing about the magnitude of the sacrifice that God made to usher you into his family and then think that it was all just for you to wait around. I hope and pray that you understand this. Back up to the last verse of chapter 2, verse 17, right there. Paul says, For we are not as so many peddling the word of God, but as of sincerity, but as from God, we speak in the sight of God in Christ. Peddling the word of God. See, he just got done talking about how God would continually lead us into triumphant victory in Christ. And we talked last week about how because of the work of Jesus, no matter what happens in this life, we end in victory. And what the way that Paul conveyed that to us is, 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 is like a, a triumphant general who marches in victoriously into a city, we get to join in the parade, even though we didn't win the battle. He did it for us. We get to join in the parade. We get to experience victory because of his victory, right? What an amazing reality that is. But Paul is also, as he's explaining what, what, what is true for us in the gospel, he's also warning of what the perils that are true if we stray and begin to believe things that are wrong. And there's, there's Always people peddling the Word of God. See, to, to peddle, a peddler, what is a peddler? A peddler is a merchant. To peddle is to sell. The false gospel is big business. You know why? Because there's a lot of people buying it. It wouldn't be big business if it didn't have a lot of customers. And it's, it comes in so many deceiving and, and sneaky ways. Now, you know the principle of a counterfeit, right? You, we all know what a counterfeit is, but, but a lot of people don't understand the principle of a counterfeit. See, the, the thing you have to understand about a counterfeit, a counterfeit's not just a fake version of something, but you have to understand what... What it teaches us, a counterfeit attacks the need for the original. And it's very, a good counterfeit is really good at that. 
So quickly, some of you that have been around here for years, you've heard me say this multitude of times. That if someone gave you a garbage bag full of counterfeit $100 bills and said, hey, hold this for me. Yeah, at first you'd be kind of like, oh boy. You know, and you'd go put it in the shed or something. So in case the police showed up, you're like, I don't even know where that came from. That's not mine. I don't know anything about it. And it would sit, and you wouldn't touch it because it would freak you out. But as it sat there, it would start to eat at you, and you would start to be curious about it. And then eventually, when the person, let's say, doesn't come back to get it after a period of time, maybe six months, maybe a year, whatever. At some point, especially if you got into some hard time, you might go out there with a $100 bill and just get one out and look at it and study it and put it under the light. And then as you looked at it and thought, wow, I, I can't tell the difference. Then finally, you might work up the nerve to go down to Dollar General and try to pass the sucker off. So you go in to DG and you know, get you some super unhealthy stuff, and then you hand that $100 bill, and they take it, and they look at it. Maybe they swipe it with the little pin thing and go, whoosh, and give you your change, and you walk out, and you're like, oh, that worked. So then you try it again, and then you try it again. And every time it works, you get more and more confident in the counterfeit until what happens. Now, remember what a counterfeit does. It attacks the need for what? The original. When you become fully confident in your ability to pass off these $100 bills, guess what you no longer need? A job. See, you go to, you go to work every day because you need the original. But if you don't need the original, then you ain't going to work. You got a whole sack full of them. See, something false so as to appear genuine. So as to appear genuine. It attacks the need for the original. Why are there so many false gospels? Not just because the people that are the purveyors of the false gospels do that for what? For money. But they're not the ones ultimately behind it. They're just, they're just the operators, remember? It's the one moving the pieces on the chessboard that are behind it and the one moving the chessboard behind the false gospel he's doing that to attack what the original that's why and you know what we oftentimes do we just we just wander around amidst all sorts of danger without any idea of the danger that's right around us I want you to listen closely and be very careful that we don't consume ideas and put on identities that make us weaker rather than stronger. Be very careful about the ideas you consume and the identities that you put on. You're getting attacked every single day. In multitudes of ways. And I'm, I love you. I'm not trying to offend you. But the majority of you are completely blind. You're blind. To many of the devices that are working to harm you. You do things casually for entertainment. And they are fraught with danger. You think that I'm just trying to be funny. You think I'm just disconnected and old-fashioned. But it really has nothing to do with that. I avoid the things that I avoid because I am scared to death of them. 
and most of you play with them like toys. Don't start your day with a whiff of the world. Start your day with the aroma of the knowledge of God. See, remember what Paul said prior to this back in verse 14 of chapter 2? Thanks be to God who always leads us in triumph in Christ and through us diffuses the fragrance of his knowledge in every place. See, the thing about a knockoff, a counterfeit. You ever had a counterfeit thing, you know, a fake thing, whatever it is? Fake watch, fake Louis Vuitton, fake whatever. I mean, they can make it look really good, really close. But here's the thing, it lacks enduring quality. The counterfeit, the the trick of the counterfeit is in the short term. See, because the thing about it is, is that, you know, you get confident in your sack full of $100 bills, you quit your job, you, you, all these things get, you know, you lose all these disciplines and motivations that are healthy in your life, but eventually what happens? Listen, maybe, maybe you get busted and go to prison, but maybe you don't, and the sack just runs out. Then what? You got scammed. Now you have to start all over again. It, it just doesn't, it doesn't matter how it works out. It will not endure. And we have always, this isn't a new phenomenon. It's just new ways. It's the same. Listen, the, the, the enemy just, it's the same tricks he's always had from the beginning. Just new tools. Same tricks, new tools. Same. It's always been the same. We've always had this propensity. Remember, God says in Isaiah 55, Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread and your labor for that which does not satisfy? You ever read that and just thought, well, wait, what? Talking about the gospel. God's talking about the gospel in Isaiah 55. You're, You're... Spending your money for something, thinking it's one thing, but it's not. You're into counterfeits. That's what it is. Throughout all of human history, we've tried to find satisfaction through things other than God. Always. So listen. Man, I hate to put this on the screen. I I fought to keep it off your listening, guys. You're going to go, what's the big deal about that? Because it's such a burden in my heart, and I just, if I had two hours, I wouldn't have sufficient time to talk about this. Human well-being requires harmony with reality. Again, listen, I'm just being honest. I worry so much about you. I mean, I am deeply concerned that you don't have a grasp on reality. Like what you think is real is not. There's some of you in this room and you think that you agree with me, and you don't. We don't believe the same things. We don't see the world the same way. I would not subscribe to your theology. Not because of what you say. Because of how you live. The way you answer the question that I started this morning with tells me I don't want that. 
from the very beginning, God is pleading with us to come out of deception into reality. It's the same narrative. The lies that we believe today erode our dependence on God. They discredit our belief in the good news. That's why the, the good news is, starts shifting subtly in different directions. It becomes your version of good news. And these lies, they're not blatant, they're subtle. They're so subtle and so sneaky. And they make promises that seem to be plausible. They make sense. Why? Because they agree with everything around you. But they are lies. They're lies. And because you've been toying around with these things, getting getting subconsciously indoctrinated, then when this little shift comes of the good news, you go, oh, that, that sounds plausible. Because you haven't been careful. You haven't been careful about the identities that you put on. You haven't been, you haven't been cautious about your consumption of ideas. So in Isaiah 55, when God says, well, why, why do you spend money for that which is not bread? Why do you labor for that which doesn't satisfy? Here's the amazing thing. of This is the gospel, okay? Now that I have your attention, you know what the rest of the verse says? Listen diligently to me and eat what is good and delight yourself in rich food. In other words, God comes Two deceived people and doesn't say, hey, get out of my sight and banish us from his. No, he, he, he lovingly and patiently orchestrates the pieces around us to get our attention, to, to take him up on his invitation to come to the table and feast on what is real and true. Stop trying to satisfy yourself with things that won't satisfy. It's a beautiful picture of a God who, who has what is wonderful beyond belief and what is satisfying beyond all imagination and unlimited in every way in His willingness to give is Ever-present, there he is. So chapter 3, verse 1. What do we do in light of this? Do we begin again to commend ourselves? Or do we need, as some others, epistles of commendation to you or letters of commendation from you? In other words, what are our credentials? What, are, what, are, what is the proof that we're genuine, that our, we're authentic? The false teachers show up and they've got letters of, of recommendation. They've got paperwork to prove that they're trustworthy and that they should be listened to. And that, Again, I, I wish I had time to go into all the subtle ways that you're deceived every day by what you think are are credible sources. And some of you are deceived because you don't believe anything. Paul says in verse 2, you, you are our epistle written in our hearts. He answers the question of how, what are my letter, what, what is the proof that I am genuine and real and trustworthy? You you're my letter of recommendation, known and read by all men. Clearly, you are an epistle of Christ ministered by us, written not with ink but by the Spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone but on tablets of flesh, that is, of the heart. Wow. 
Paul says the, this letter of recommendation that you're looking for, it's that I'm here. It's the work that I've labored among you. It's the truth that I've proclaimed to you. It's the, and, and here's the difference, see. Paul's saying, you are my letter of recommendation. Now, he's saying, look at all the blood, sweat, and tears I've invested in you. Look at all the time and energy and effort. But now, you could say that about the, the false teachers that have come in. Except for one thing, Paul says, you want verification of my credentials? You want to see if what I'm saying is true? Look in the mirror. You've been transformed by the gospel. You see, false gospels don't transform. So the way that you know that you're in the presence of the real gospel is that transformation is taking place either within you or around you. That's how you know. That's the difference. People's lives are being transformed. Your lives are being transformed. Why? Not because of the gospel. The gospel transforms us. That's the proof. See, you are an epistle written in our hearts. He says, notice, clearly you are an epistle in verse 3. Ministered by us or delivered by us. Who gets the credit? Paul is very clear. He's not the agent of change. He's like, I'm just the delivery man. All I did was bring it. I'm just the mouthpiece. I'm not the I'm I'm the waiter, not the cook. It wasn't written in ink saying, I didn't write this. It was written by the Spirit. See, he's saying the proof is the transforming power of the gospel that I've taught you. That's the proof. When you live that gospel, that answers the question that the world needs to know the answer to. And Paul's saying, listen, it's not what I did in Thessalonica, although there's been transformation there. It's not what I did in Ephesus, although there's been transformation there. No, you don't have to look over there or over there. Just look at yourselves. Look at yourselves. Look at what's happened here. See, the reality that... that comes forth from this for, for each and every one of us is that our lives are a letter. And so the question is, well, what are, what are we commending? Your life is a letter. And it's commending something. What is it commending? See, Paul's saying... I'm just holding the pen. The Holy Spirit is the ink and the human heart is the tablet. God's doing all this. You remember last week in chapter 2, verse 16, he says, To the one we are the aroma of death leading to death, and to the other the aroma of life leading to life. And then he says, Who is sufficient for these things? You see what, what, what's hanging in the balance here? Your life is a letter. All, all the people that you come in contact with, and I'm talking about all the people that you come in contact with and that I come in contact with fit into one of those four categories I explained to you. And, and all of these things are, are matter. And so many of us are walking through life like Mr. Magoo. We're just bumbling along. We're blind to all of this, like none of this even matters. Missing all of the significance of all of these things. Not aware of what we're commending. He's saying your life 
is either leading people to death or leading people to life. That's why he says, who is sufficient for these things? Because he wants you to feel the weight of, he's not giving you a choice. It's A or B. There's no C. It's one or the other. See, the only way our lives can, can write a new story can't just say this morning like, man, I'm, I got to get it together. I got to make some changes. See, some of you have already been hearing that in your head. You've been telling yourself like, man, I got to get serious. I got I to gotta get it together. I mean, I got I to gotta make some adjustments. I got to. Well, now let me jump in your mind and read it with you for a moment. Let me ask you a simple question. Is this the first time you've ever thought that? No. Well, then why do you think this time is going to be any different than all the other times you've thought that? It's not. Because it doesn't work that way. That's not the gospel. See, the only way you can write a new story is you have to have a new heart. It's the only way. It's the only way. Ezekiel 36, God says, talking about what he's going to do in this new covenant, for I will take I will take you from among the nations, gather you out of all the countries, and bring you into your own land. Then I will sprinkle clean water on you, meaning I will cleanse you. You should be clean. I will cleanse you from all your filthiness, from all your idols. Then I'm going to give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. I will take your heart of stone out of your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I'll put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes. And you will keep my judgments and do them. Do you understand that verse is saying you cannot do anything on your own? If you don't have a new heart, you can hang it up. Got to have a new heart. But it's this subtle lie that says, well, you can, you can make something of yourself. You, you, can, you can change yourself. You can change your attitude. You can change your surroundings. You can change the way you see the day. You can, you can change, your, change your habits, change your circumstances, get a new haircut, start dressing better so you feel better about yourself. I mean, I know all kind of dumb stuff. It ain't going to change anything. The only way you can be triumphant, the only way you can be new, the only way any of what Paul is talking about is going to be true in your life is if God gives you a new heart and he places his spirit within you. Look at verse 4. And we have such trust through Christ towards God. Verse 5, emphasis on the first word, underline, circle. Not that we are sufficient of ourselves to think of anything as being from ourselves. Uh. But our sufficiency is from God who also made us sufficient as ministers of the new covenant. Not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. Hmm. So you can't do it on your own. You have to have a new heart. And then... As only... God would allow it to be. Most fascinating thing to me. The letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. That is one of the most misinterpreted, misunderstood 
so many false gospel understandings are born. I, I hear that quoted so many times in the context of false gospel, in the, and it's in the context of a warning against it. What does that mean? The letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. Is Paul pitting law against license? Is he saying the rules equal law, but the Spirit equals freedom? Is that what he's saying? Is he pitting the, the Bible versus the Holy Spirit? Is he saying the Bible kills, but the Holy Spirit gives life? Is that what he's saying? Is he saying... It's the commands of Scripture versus our personal experience. Is that what he's saying? No, he's not saying any of those things. It's so clear in the context. What is Paul talking about? Paul is talking about the difference between the Old Covenant and the New Covenant. Now listen very closely for the next ten minutes. So you can learn something very valuable, and then you can go to community group and talk about it. But you need to listen closely. This is important. If you look down to the text we'll be in next week, look at verse 7. He gives us even more clarity on what he's talking about. But if the ministry of death written and engraved on stones was glorious so that the children of Israel could not look steadily in the face of Moses because of the glory of his countenance, which... Glory was passing away. How will the ministry of the Spirit not be more glorious? So see, it's not Old Testament's bad, New Testament's good. It's not, oh, well, the Old Testament's full of things, law that'll kill you, but it's all New Testament grace stuff that'll give you life. That's not what he's talking about at all. How do we know that? Well, just think about what the Bible says. For example, Paul says in Romans 7, the law is holy. And the commandment is holy and righteous and good. That's not what he's talking about. You'll see. You'll hear people say things. You'll see people use this very verse. And uh, the law kills and the spirit gives life. And how tangled up everything is. The contrast is between the old and the new, not the good and the bad. Got that? So when Paul says the letter kills but the spirit gives life. He's talking about external regulations versus inward transformation. Because this whole thing is in the context of you're the letter. You answer the question with your life. See, the letter kills because it was written with words on tablets of stone. Because it was powerless to do what? To make us obedient. It was powerless. Who, who read the Ten Commandments and went, got it, and lived them? Nobody. But Jesus encountered people who were what? Deceived. Even the rich young ruler believed the false gospel. Oh, I know all the commandments. I'm keeping them. Moralism. See, they're external regulations. By themselves, they condemn us to judgment. Because you have no hope of living up to them. The Spirit gives life because now the law that is glorious is written on our heart, which is more glorious by the Spirit of God, and there's transformation that now takes place from the inside out, which prior to that could only be outside in, and outside in won't work. It's got to be inside out. It's not that one is good and one is bad. One is external and one is internal. One is glorious and one is more glorious. Jeremiah says it this way, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with you, with the house of Israel and the house of Judah, not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand 
and brought them to the land of Egypt. My covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, declares the Lord, for this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them and I will write it on their hearts and I will be their God and they shall be my people. The Spirit gives life because now in the ministry of the new covenant in which we live, the Spirit enables us to walk in obedience to the commands of God. Praise the Lord. And so you need to understand what grace is. Genuine grace is not a license to sin. It's the power to live above the dominion of sin. It means that the glory of the new covenant cannot be reduced. You see, if this is true, which it is, then you cannot reduce the new covenant to a list of do's and don'ts. Because what is that? The old covenant, which is glorious, but can't save you. It's the new covenant, right? It can't be do's and don'ts because that's what we had. So don't define Christianity to the people that come into your life as a list of behaviors. Don't ever let anybody think that what you believe is predicated on your behaviors. Christianity is not, I don't do this, or I don't do that, or I stay away from this, or abstain from this, or whatever. I mean, that's not, that. what are you talking about? That's not Christianity. That's external regulations. Satan wins when you do that. When you harp on and on and on and on and on and on and on. About all the behavioral. All your commentary about everyone's behavior. It's just a subtle way of you being puffed up with pride. That you're behaving correctly. Which is a lie. And you're spreading a false gospel. That you're a Christian because you don't do this or do do this or this or that or whatever. That's not the gospel. Christianity is not a program for self-improvement. Now if the Spirit dwells in you, you will improve. But that's not the gospel. The gospel is what enabled you to improve. It's not that you improved. See, your behavior is just a byproduct. If your behavior is correct, it's verification. It's a byproduct of a relationship with Jesus. That's what it is. So if we give people moral prescriptions... Even if they're good prescriptions. See, here's the thing. Maybe all you're ranting, like you're right. What you're saying would be good. If everyone would behave the way you want them to, it would be good. But it's killing them because it's the aroma of death because it's not the aroma of life. Don't you see? You're being fooled. You're being tricked. You're trying to find the ball under the cups and you lost the right cup. Listen, the Bible's message is not go do something for God. It never, ever, ever is that. Never. Do not let the... the the letter of your life be commending people to go do something for God. So many times I get done preaching and one of you walks up to me and just goes, it starts telling me, you know, oh, I'm going to go. Here, I'm, I want to, who can I do this? How, who can I do this for? How can I? I guess you think you're encouraging me, but I really just want to go drown myself 
That's what you thought I was talking about? So what good is that going to do? Wait, we're going to have 24 hours of you, you know, really trying to work hard to do? I mean, that's not going to change anything. Inside out. God has done something for you. See, when the gospel takes hold of you, it's your, your life is writing this letter of, look at what God's done. Look at what God's done. Look at, and so when people come up to you and say, hey, why do you do this? Or what about, or can you, you, you don't go, well, I, but do, you say, look at what God's done. Look at what God's done. God did that. If there's anything good in me, it's because God did it. He did it. That's why Jesus said, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. He can't even see it. He can't see it. You'll never see it. Because that which is born of flesh is flesh, and that which is spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I say this to you. You must be born again. See, that's the gospel. Isn't it interesting that Jesus didn't tell Nicodemus to do anything, did he? Nicodemus kept trying to turn it back into, what do I need to do? And Jesus is like, be born again, which you, you know, and he's like, but I, I, don't, I can't do that. Exactly. Some of you have been going to church for decades. And your Christianity is all letter. It's no spirit. It's external demands. You leave church and you got a list of things you need to do. You miss the whole point. There's no transformation. See, every week you just come back to get more things on your list. That's why you don't come Wednesdays, because you ain't got time. It takes you a whole week to get the Sunday done, so you come the next Sunday. You don't want two lists. You'll be too busy. You've got to be born again. You've got to have a new heart, new desires, new affections. It's not what you do. It's why you do them. It's a new heart. You see this in subtle ways. We've got we to gotta go. You, 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 you pray for people that you love that are messed up, family members, your children, people that you care about, and they're tangled up in things that aren't good. And when you pray for them, you pray that they would, that they would, the things in their life would work out. That's not the gospel. Lost people work things out all the time. Like you got two people that you love that can't get along with each other, and you're praying that they would get along with each other? No. Pray that they get a new heart. They need a new heart. They don't need to get along. They need a new heart. Because they might get along and still go to hell. See, your prodigal may come home but still go to hell. That's what matters. And you don't even realize that when you're praying that, it's a false narrative. It's a false gospel. That's why the Bible says in Romans chapter 10, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Because faith doesn't just come by hearing whatever you hear. It only comes by hearing one specific thing. One specific thing. Jeremiah says, my people have committed two evils. They've forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and hewn or dug for themselves broken cisterns that will hold no water. Just out there. See, our ability to appraise things is skewed. Do you understand that? We, we, don't, we don't know intuitively what will satisfy us eternally. It's unnatural to us. Our hearts are deceitful. Our taste buds have been warped. You can't trust what your heart is drawn to. You should be afraid of those things. You should back away. Be careful 
about the ideas and the identities that you're taking upon yourself. God interprets reality for us. He says, give me the shovel. You've been digging holes in the ground to hold water, and it just keeps leaking out, and you just keep digging. It keeps leaking out. And he has to take the shovel from us and say, I am the fountain of living water. That's reality. He shows us the bottom of the cistern that's leaking. But then he doesn't just go, way to go, dummy. He says, come, come feast on what I have. What are you feasting on? What what information is, is propelled into your mind every morning when you wake up? Listen, it's the gospel of Christ that truly frees hungry, hurting people to be healed and satisfied in Jesus. Let's commend the world around us with the letters of our lives and what God has done. God gave us a new heart. God changed our desires. Gave us new affections, new understandings. And we feed that. Our faith is fed through His Word. It's not fed through hearing other things. And there's no way to go through this life without hearing other things. But listen, you've got to make sure that you're hearing the right things. Otherwise, the, all the other things start drowning out the right thing. And right now, listen, and then we're out. Just to prove what I'm saying is true. If, if each of your heads would start lighting up and blinking right now in the room who was thinking to themselves, man, i got to start reading my Bible more. This place would look like a giant Christmas tree. That's a false gospel. See what you believe? You're lying to yourself right there. You missed the whole point of what I said. You don't need to start reading your Bible more. You need an affection and a desire to want to read your Bible more. That's the gospel. Let's stand.